welcome to another edition of the China in Africa podcast. I'm Eric Olander, and as always, I'm joined by Kobus van Staden of Witz University in Johannesburg. A very good afternoon to you, Kobus. Good afternoon. And, and Kobus, today we're going to do a first on the show. We've never done this before, but we're going to do a little bit of a fundraiser. Now, we don't have a lot of time, <laughs> but we're going to try and raise some money for a documentary that is being produced by a pair of Americans who are recent graduates. Uh, one of the producers, Melissa Lefkowitz, Lefkowitz or Lefkowitz? Lefkowitz. Lefkowitz uh, joins us from uh, from New York, where she is at the New York University School of Law and the U.S. Asia Law Institute. And for you China geeks out there, she works for the the, the famous Jerry Cohen. And so, for anybody who's in the uh, in the China space, you'll know Jerry Cohen as one of the great legal scholars of Chinese law. And so, uh, Melissa, it is wonderful to have you on the show. Thank you so much for having me. This is a, a great honor. It's, I'm a big fan of the podcast. Well, uh, well, thank you so much. Well, so I said at the beginning of the show that we're going to do a little bit of fundraising, and that's in part because you are desperately trying to raise $2,500 <laughs> to put together yes. a movie with a friend of yours by the name of Dorian Carly, uh, Carly Jones, that's and right. you guys want to go to China to talk about and do a documentary on Africans and Chinese. Before we get to your big sales pitch, just give us a little <laughs> bit as to why this topic. It's, it's a very unusual topic for people to pick. So what drew you to it? Well, what drew me to it originally was when I was uh, a, a uh, exchange student, I should say, after graduating college. Um, I took a year to just learn uh, Chinese at a higher level. And I had a Chinese government scholarship, um, and I wasn't able to choose the school I went to. So I ended up getting um, placed at Beijing Jiao Tong Dashui. So that's uh, Beijing Transportation University. Um, and that actually is a historic university for Africans because of China's uh, legacy of, uh, I guess, funding uh, railroad and other sort of infrastructure projects uh, in Africa. So as part of that, they would invite uh, African students to study um, through these educational exchanges. So when I got there, uh, I just saw so many students from various countries in Africa, and I wanted to know more about the history. Um, so I ended up pursuing a master's degree at Harvard, uh, looking more closely at the historic relationship between China and Africa. Um, and that basically led to this interest in the current presence of African traders in China um, and the fact that Africans in China, literally living in China, are not refugees in China. They are either students or they're business people. And uh, it's just, it's an interesting phenomenon that's occurring, this sort of mig migration, especially post China's entry into the WTO. And I don't really want to kind of um, overstate it because, as I'll talk about with the recent exit entry administration law, um, this community might actually be dwindling. Um, but presently, people believe that there's between 20,000 and even like, you know, people have said as much as 200,000, as many as 200,000 people living in uh, southeastern China, Guangzhou. And also in Iwu in Zhejiang province. Yeah, the numbers are very hard to to come by. There is, of course, just as there's no way to count the number of Chinese in Africa, there's no way to count 
the number of Africans in China. Uh, right. the, the movie that you want to produce is called Land of Opportunity, Africans in China. Uh, the tagline mm-hmm. is a, a short documentary that explores the lives of African traders who live and work in the center of China's wholesale trade industry. Let's take a listen now to the short video that you produced with your, uh, with your, your production partner, Dorian Carley-Jones, uh, on Indiegogo. And this is what you're using to raise $2,500. Let's take a listen. Hi, I'm Melissa Lefkowitz. And I'm Dorian Carley-Jones. And we're the producers of the documentary, Land of Opportunity, Africans in China. Here in the States, when we think of China and immigration, we tend to think of the 3.3 million people who have emigrated from China and currently reside in the U.S. Historically, China hasn't been much of a destination country for immigrants, but all that is beginning to change. In particular, the city of Guangzhou has become a major destination of foreign migration. Located in southern China, Guangzhou is one of China's most important cities for trade. As China has risen to the country with the second largest GDP in the world, it has seen a rapid increase in the presence of foreign traders, primarily from Africa, who flock to Guangzhou to do business in some of the world's largest wholesale markets. And over 100,000 of them have stayed, forming a community that is known to locals as Little Africa. This June, we will travel to Guangzhou to document this emerging phenomenon in global migration. Spending 10 days meeting residents in the community, we'll learn about their lives and their reasons for making a new home in China. We are seeking $2,500 to make this documentary a reality. We've already secured funding for one round trip ticket to China, but there are two of us, so before we can leave, we need to book another flight. Plus, we'll also need funds for food, lodging, and extra equipment, such as hard drives to hold all the footage we'll be gathering. With your contribution, you will be participating in a project that seeks to broaden the American public's interpretation of China and the image of Africans around the globe. This is the ever-changing face of today's world. We are grateful for your support. Thank you. Can you give us an idea, when you when you say um, exploring the lives of, of Africans um, living in Guangzhou, um, what do you have in mind? What kind of exploration mm-hmm. are you thinking of and what kind of Africans do you, do you plan to work with? Okay, um, so what I have in mind is a short film that would document the lives of not just traders who've come to the area, but also the lives of those people who have come um, along with the traders. So basically, I'm interested in seeing, um, in, in sort of documenting this sort of deeper community. So I think that what we have sort of seen via news articles are sort of these male traders. Um, and that's that's something you know I want to see. But I also want to see people who are working in barber shops that have sprung up. I want to see um, people working in bar settings, perhaps. Uh, while we're there, will be the, uh, the World Cup will be going on. So we're also interested in watching, um, you know, in, in seeing how people engage in the football community. You know, we, we just, we, we want to, we're inspired by Frederick Wiseman. We're inspired by John Alpert, two documentarians who uh, have basically honed and uh, the fly on the wall style, one might say. So we, that's really what we want to do. We don't really want to make any broader statements than that. We sort of just want to document a place, uh, you mm-hmm. know, in, during this very interesting period in time that, you know, that might not exist 10 years from now. You know, we're not really sure. And, and we also really do want to get some insights into this new law and how it's affecting the traders there. 
One of the other things I'd like to kind of ask you about in terms of the sales pitch that you're giving is you said, uh, let me just quote back to you what you said, inviting people to participate in a project that seeks to broaden the American public's interpretation of China and the image of Africans around the globe. And that kind of struck me. Uh, I'm just kind of curious, A, why did you focus on kind of the American reaction and not say, I don't know, people's reaction? Uh, And B, what is it about the American reaction that, that you want to change? Yeah. Well, as you said earlier, just, um, you know, how there are so many Sino-African scholars coming out of Europe, I think that here in the United States, we really only have a sense of bilateral relations when it comes to China. Um, You know, everything is U.S.-China, U.S.-China. And something that, um, and also when it comes to Africa, you know, the story of the um, refugees, uh, you know, the, the boat incident, you know, off the coast of Italy what, was a big story here. But you just, there isn't a, there, there aren't that many um, representations of Africans available to us in the broader media. And, and ultimately, so we were going to come back with a short film. Um, as we say in our pitch, ultimately, it would be wonderful if the film could maybe be something featured on PBS um, you know, I I have reached out to Henry Louis Gates Jr. about potentially doing a black in China because he's done black in so many other places. Um, and he's interested in the project, though. I can't say anything more about that. But he has expressed enthusiasm, you know, so that would be sort of a dream. Um, let, let, also, me just, let me just qualify yeah. this a little bit. Uh, <laughs> for those who are not familiar with Henry, Henry Louis Gates Jr., he is probably one of the most well-known, uh, famous uh, African-American scholars. And he's, and he's also very telegenic. And he's been on PBS, which is the American Public Broadcasting System, uh, for a number of years talking about African-American history and whatnot. So I just wanted to kind of put that out there because a lot of our listeners may not be familiar with that. Okay, thanks. And I should say about um, broadening the image of Africa around the world, it's it's what I mentioned before, that in China, uh, Africans are not asylum seekers. Um, That's partially because China is not a signatory Is anybody an asylum seeker in China? I mean, short (laughs) uh, of, you know... I don't think that... um, no, I, I mean, no. The answer is no. I think, um, you know, they have signed international treaties regarding refugees, but they don't abide by them. I mean, they they kick North Koreans out just as easily as they'll kick Africans out. So, but, but for some reason, that's significant because when you think about migration flows in Africa, at least from the United States, it's really hard to imagine something else other than an asylum seeker. And they really want to shake that up a little bit. Um, And we also just don't see China as a receiving country. Um, And I think it needs to be viewed like that um, in the years moving forward. Um, as 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 you mentioned, um, so many people who, uh, so many Africans who live in China are are traders um, yes. and business people. So yes. it it also opens up a view of of the the growth of consumerism in Africa and the way that Af- that China plays into that. So I think it, it it's potentially such a kind of a rich um, you know kind of subject for film. I think it's really interesting. When I was in in China um, in 2011, I um, returned in the middle of my master's program at Harvard to gather materials on a cultural revolution posters, actually, um, representing China and Africa cooperation. I met um, 
someone who's now a close friend named Obi, uh, who is currently pursuing an MBA at uh, a university in Beijing. And he was a student and he would go down to Guangzhou uh, periodically to go buy uh, clothing. Um, I went with him once in Beijing to go buy hair wholesale, which was very, which was a very fun experience. And then he would sell uh, these items, not sell, sorry, he would ship these items to his cousin in uh, Lagos, uh, in Nigeria. And then his cousin would sell those items in a shop. And I asked him, why not just have these items um, bought, you know, from Nigeria? Uh, and he said, well, it's really about trust. You know, we need to actually go there and make sure that these products um, are, you know, up to par. And I'm interested in how uh, that will, how consumerism will look if Africans are not allowed to purchase wholesale from China um, itself, if that were to happen in the future. It well, seems like it's a necessary component. No doubt a major part of what you're going to talk about, of course, is the change to the, the 2013 revision to the Chinese immigration law that does allow uh -huh. authorities to, uh, to detain and, and most likely to, to deport people who have Definitely. overstayed their visas. Now, in the, in the African community, which is... You know, when we talk about the African community in Guangzhou, we should be very clear here because it's not really a pan-African community. It is heavily, heavily Nigerian among it others. It really is, So, yes. So I think this is dis disproportionately a Nigerian issue, but there is a smattering of others. Certainly uh, people like Roberto Castillo out of the Chinese University of Hong Kong is an expert, and I highly yeah. recommend that everybody check out uh, China. I think it's africansinchina.net. That's what uh, it is. Yeah, me, and I he's, touch with the yeah, yeah, he's 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 badass, and he's to me he's, the 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 basically the uh, the pre preeminent expert on this. You know, um, Kobus and I know some other people who we shall not mention, um, who are also scholars in this area, but we don't really like them. Um, <laughs> I know so, who you're talking about. <laughs> so, but um, so anyway, let's get back to this change in the law because that's something that's really a major issue in the community in yeah. in Guangzhou. Yeah. So basically, we're definitely not mentioning. <laughs> yes. So it's a um, it, it's a major issue. It's causing a lot of anxiety, a lot of pressure, uh, and I think it's important for people to understand that China, unlike say the United States or Europe, doesn't have a formal immigration service. Right. So what it does is it uses the Public Security Bureau, known as the Gonganju, which is the normal law enforcement mechanisms to 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 conduct immigration checks. Now. Africans, by virtue of their skin color, stand out on the streets of Guangzhou, so they are very, very easy targets. Uh, but it should also be noted for people that the Chinese authorities are not exclusively going after Africans. This law was actually not specifically designed for Africans. It targets all foreigners. They just had a, a big raid in Beijing. Uh, I don't know if you guys saw this, but they set up a fake modeling uh, exhibit, um, kind of auditions, and 60 foreign models, mostly from Ukraine and Russia, showed up, and guess who was waiting for them? The Gonganju, the oh PSB, and boom, that? they got fined and deported. So these crackdowns are not happening exclusively for Africans. Uh, however, they are receiving a lot of grief and attention for this. Talk to us a little bit about... The, what your understanding of the law, particularly from your point of view, working with Jerry Cohen at NYU, and the effect that this law is having on the African community in Guangzhou? Well, if there's anything I've learned from working with Jerry Cohen at NYU, it's that these laws can be applied and implemented in a very arbitrary fashion. Um, and it's really hard to get a read um, on how laws will play out once they've been implemented. You know, it just it, 
you have to sort of do some sort of longitudinal study on it, you know, wait a few years. Um, what I, well, I actually spoke with Roberto Castillo uh, a few weeks ago uh, via email, and he told me that from his position on the ground, uh, he uh, believes that this, could, this is potentially the worst period ever for this community and that it actually is having and will have uh, grave effects on the community. So I really, you know, don't, having not gone there, I actually can't say, but I'm sure that when I come back in June, I will have a much better understanding of how it's working out. Um, but this whole threat of detainment is, is or sorry, and detention is a really big problem. And, um, when it comes to detention, too, even though, um, and I'm just like looking back here um, at the law itself from this China Brief article uh, I <clears throat> wrote in November 2013. Um, so for the first time, foreigners will face detention and investigation for overstaying their visas, and that's up to 60 days, quote unquote, if the case is complicated. What does that mean? You know? Well, that's classic it, Chinese law in terms so of, you know, in that sense. Like in Intentionally vague. Yeah. Um, so foreigners working enforced. illegally will face detention five to fifteen days, monetary fines up to twenty thousand RMB. Um, so th- those are those are kind of scary threats, especially if uh, the you know th- sixty days isn't actually a hard sixty days. You know, it's un- it's yeah. unclear. Yeah. So, you know, Kobus, let me ask you a question here on this, and, and this is something that that always baffles me. Now. Before I, I ask this question, let me just set it up that the Chinese political structure is a very disorganized. So it is is not many people think of it as a centrally controlled, you know, almost Soviet style, and it's it's far more chaotic than people give it credit for. So mm-hmm. the um, you know the the immigration enforcement has nothing to do with the foreign policy and has nothing to do oh, with right. the commerce side. So Kobus, here's what I what strikes me about this: the Chinese are cracking down on the few migrants. We're talking between twenty thousand and two hundred thousand. You know, the lowest estimates of Chinese immigrants, illegal or otherwise, in Africa, uh, is in the hundreds of thousands. The highest estimates put it into the millions. And so it seems to me completely duplicitous and and, and hypocritical that at the same time China has, you know, so many people in Africa where, you know, they were very sensitive in Ghana when there was the crackdown on illegal gold mining, Mm -hmm. that the the Chinese aren't – that there isn't any more sensitivity put forward. And Kobus, I wanted to hear from you what your perspective from South Africa is in terms of do people or do you think people will start to see a double standard there? where your people can come to our country and it's a very sensitive issue in terms of labor, opening shops. Most of these people in, in some communities, if we go back to Nose Week and their allegations, um, may or may not be legal. But yet it's tolerated in Africa for a number of different reasons. But in China, not so much. What's your thought on that, Kobus? I think that uh, that criticism of a double standard is already happening in Africa. Um, it's happening particularly strongly in Nigeria, um, where there, there's been um, TV documentaries about um, about the, the the problems that that some Nigerians are facing in China, um, and uh, you know, kind of that point has been raised in 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 the African press. 
I mean, South Africa particularly, I don't think there are so many South Africans living in China as there are um, Africans from other parts of Africa. I think it's also problematic. Um, you know, as you mentioned, the part, the different parts of the Chinese government don't speak to speak to each other necessarily. But I mean, you know, kind of China, the Chinese government is so foregrounding public diplomacy and so, you know, kind of pushing the idea of, you know, of using bursary systems and so on to, to create these, these bridge uh, or hinge people between China and Africa. So they're pushing that so hard, and then at the same time they're cracking down on those on those actual people. You know, kind of the actual Africans who are mm-hmm. experiencing China and who speak Chinese. You know, so so I think I think it's a, it's really um, a self defeating policy. Melissa, what's your take on that? Yeah, I I actually have seen some of those Nigerian documentaries, um, and I think there is a lot of concern from the Nigerian side that you know people will go abroad to China, and then who knows what will happen. You know, somebody will disappear and then three years later, you know, they'll emerge out of a prison. Um, and I, I think it, it really is terrible for Sino-African relations to create a double standard. Um, you know, Lee Ka-chang's big trip to Africa last week showed a very cooperative, friendly relationship, but on the ground and even in conversations with uh, friends, um, from Nigeria, it's just a different story, and there's there's nothing good that can come out of a very hostile PSB presence in Guangzhou. And I, I honestly really don't understand what the motive is. Like, what what is so threatening? That's my. That's also something. What is so threatening about having a community of African traders in Guangzhou? Well, I'm, I, I'm I, 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 I mean, listen. I mean, that's a that's a question that you can ask in your own country. You know, let's not talk about Alabama, the restrictive, restrict, you know, immigration laws in Michigan. I mean, this is not an isolated thing in the United States either. So, no. so the same question could be put to the Americans, like, what's so threatening? And they will tell you in the United States, well, they're stealing our jobs, where they're not, they're taking our culture, da, 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 da. You know, and I think in, in right. China, which doesn't have a precedent for being a diverse, multicultural, multi-ethnic society, this is largely a Han 92% plus Han ethnic society, um, you know, there's not an enormous amount of tolerance for diversity. I think that's changing, um, especially in the big cities, but there's not, I don't think there's a, a constituency in Beijing which is protecting and promoting immigrant rights. Yeah. So in that sense, yeah. I think that it doesn't there's, exist. It doesn't exist. So this is still very, very new. Um, listen, we're running short on time, and I know you have to get back to your day job. Uh, <laughs> but give us a few kind of details. Let's say you raise your money on Indiegogo, and we're going to put a link up uh, on our blog at ChinaAfricaProject.com and also on our Facebook page at uh, Facebook.com slash ChinaAfricaProject. Okay, give us the details. How long is this video going to be? When do you hope to do it? And, and how much more money do you need to raise? Okay, so we need to raise around $700 more, so we're very close. Uh, what we're hoping to come back with is a short film and a trailer for a larger feature if we feel that there are, and there will, I you know expect to be, just more stories to tell. Um, there has been a good documentary on this uh, on Guangzhou that came out in the Netherlands. And I, while I really enjoyed it, the one thing that I did not enjoy so much was the presence of all of these talking heads in the form of experts. So what we really want is to create uh, a, a documentary that tells the story of these traders 
through the eyes and the mouths of these traders. So we're not going to have any voiceovers of people who are not presently trading or living in Africa. So we're very excited to sort of create that sort of story, um, that sort of film. Uh, and when and do you think it's going to yeah. be done? When? What's your time frame on this? Well, we'll be out there in June. Uh, we're hoping to have something by the end of the summer. I would love to have something by the end of the summer. Kobus, my favorite uh, part of this, you know, when you have these kind of social fundraising sites like Indiegogo or Kickstarter, uh, people oftentimes give back you know, either gifts or presents or credits for it. My favorite one, Kobus, for, for, the, for, this, uh, for this movie um, in Land of Opportunities, if you give 50 bucks, $50 US, <laughs> you will receive a thank you credit in the film, which is very nice of you, and a gift from China from a wholesale industry of your choosing. Hmm. That is correct. <laughs> <laughs> that is, you know, in China, that's a pretty broad spectrum because the wholesale industry there is, you know, so I hope you're prepared to deliver on that. I really am. Nobody has asked me for a big, like a big screen TV yet. I but was I'm about to say a gift and you don't actually specify the price of the gift. Nope. So, you know, so this is your yeah. chance, people. No, if you want to make a lot of money from some poor documentarians, I think this is the way to do it. So anyway, go over to Indiegogo, do a search for Land of Opportunity Africans in China. Uh, if you're unfamiliar with Indiegogo, it's a place where you can give any amount of money, $1, $1,000, however much. Of course, $2,500, I assume, is your goal. But if you make some more, you're not going to complain, right? That's correct. Fair enough there. Right. Um, and so uh, where can people follow you if they want to kind of maybe they don't have enough money to give you? Because we talk to a lot of students and mm -hmm. academics who don't make a lot of money. But maybe mm -hmm. if they want to follow the progress of your film and your adventures, is there anywhere online that they can do that? Well, I believe if not, if I'm not posting a lot while I'm in China, I will be posting about this film very often through my Twitter handle, Sinofei, S-I-N-O-F-E-I. -E and for all those Sino-Africa files out there, I think you can understand wow. why my handle is Sinofei. That's very good. So that's just for those of you who don't speak Chinese. Uh, Sino is, of course, China. Fei, F-E-I, is Feijo, which is Africa in Chinese. That's a very good handle there. I... I <laughs> Which I, I, I'm jealous you, that I didn't, I didn't get that one there. <laughs> Kobus, if people want to follow what you're reading and writing these days, what's the best way for them to stay in touch? Um, you can find us find me on our Facebook page, uh, and that's facebook.com slash China Africa Project, um, and also on Twitter at Stadenesk, that's S-T-A-D-E-N-E-S-Q-U-E. And Kobus and I are updating that Facebook page stunningly, almost 18 hours a day. We just take a few hours off for sleep. Uh, Kobus is over there in South Africa. I'm over here in Asia. So, uh, you know, it's really a great place for a discussion on all things related to China, Africa, you know, from young documentarians to, uh, you know, high-powered academics to diplomacy to politics, art, culture, human, uh, you know, all the different things that are related to the Sino-African relationship. It's there on our Facebook page. If you'd like to subscribe to this podcast, the best way to do it is over on iTunes. Just look for China Africa Project, or you can find us on Stitcher, on the BlackBerry Network in South Africa. Soon we're going to be on the Kindle Network and, of course, over on SoundCloud. So, Melissa, thank you so much for joining us today. It was really a pleasure. We wish you the best of luck with your project. We love having the energy of, of young people who are going to try and tell the story in a different way. So 
thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure. And so we hope that everybody can follow along and and throw a little bit of money her way, just a dollar or two so she can do this. Uh, We'll be back again (laughs) next time. And we're going to catch up with you after June to see how it went, what what it was. And we'd love to find out if you actually met your your fundraising goals. So uh, we're really excited to have you back. And we'll be back again with another show uh, very soon. Thank you so much for listening to the China in Africa podcast. 